It's the end of the American Association regular season. The playoffs are about to start. We're going to break it all down here and much more on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are nearing episode 80, it's Nick, it's Will, and we're going to break down a lot of playoff baseball, as odd as it is to seem, and if you would have told us, I'm sure, six months ago, when this whole pandemic was first starting, that there would be playoff baseball this year, I don't think either one of us would have uh, expected that. Yeah, especially after it became so apparent that minor league baseball was going to cancel their season. To me, it became pretty hard to believe that uh, there could be any baseball of any sort outside of the the prototypical no fans major league baseball model that was obviously not sustainable uh, at all for at all for indie ball. So it, it's impressive that we've been able to to get this far basically without a hiccup. I mean, the American Association, you look and it's it's pretty much just that one game. I believe for the in the uh, Milwaukee, it was I believe it was a Milwaukee Chicago game that got yeah. postponed. Yeah, way that, early like, in the season, like yeah, it was third like the or fourth weekend. game. Yeah, but so like outside of that. Uh, it, it's really been a great job from everyone involved. I'm not sure exactly how like public the numbers are as far as testing goes, but from all intents and purposes, it's it, it's pretty impressive to me that we were able to, to get this far. And, and it definitely gives a blueprint for uh, for, for next year if we're still if we're, if we're still in this mess. Oh, absolutely. It showed that you can make this work. Now, I'm not sure how much it works for the other six teams that weren't able to play this year. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much it works for, you know, the Atlantic League that couldn't play and Frontier League and some of the other ones. But it definitely shows that possible to find a way to play, even if you do need to do things a little unorthodox. But it definitely right. shows that. And uh, towards the end of the show, we'll really go into uh, the whole American Association season and give you a preview of the playoffs there. But we're going to change things up a little bit. Normally we would start with that because, you know, that would be the big premier league that was playing baseball. And But we're going to just change it up a little bit and go to the American Baseball Challenge. It's one of the circuit leagues. I believe it's currently the only circuit league or it's one of two. I think Bourbon Trail may still be going on as well. That's actually playing ball. And they are in their playoffs right now. Uh, we have... Uh, Three matchups here. The postseason was supposed to begin on Thursday night. However, due to rain, that got pushed to tonight, Friday night, and then a championship game as well as some consolation and third place games on Saturday. But we'll get started by just breaking down each of these matchups. We have the number one seeded Sussex County Miners taking on the number four seed New York Braves. That is at Skylands. Then we have the number two seed Rockland Boulders or New York Boulders, my mistake there, taking on the New Jersey Jackals at Palisades Credit Union Ballpark up in Pomona, New York. And then in the kind of bottom seed here, these are the two teams that are eliminated from winning the championship. That is the Jersey Wise Guys and Skylands Cardinals. My mistake there, the Skylands Cardinals. And that is at Yogi Berra tonight. So those are your three matchups that you have left. The winner of the minor game and the Jackals game will play for the title. The loser of the Miners and Braves game 
will take on the winner of the Wise Guys Cardinals game for third place, and the other two teams will play just for really bragging rights at this point. This league is very difficult to cover. It's hard to follow because there's no real stats, and I think uh, you went to a handful of these games, and I think you'd know a little bit more about the, the quality of play than I would, so I will turn this over to you now for the next little bit. So the, the All-American Baseball Challenge, uh, it has a wide, it has a very wide range of talent, as you kind of would expect for a league that was that was pretty much thrown together uh, at, at the last second. But there's definitely a lot of interesting talent there, specifically on the offensive side. Uh, if you were like a Can-Am League fan, there's a lot of guys that that you probably know. Uh, mostly on on the jackals, uh, the jackals and miners side, uh, and, and not to mention, after the Somerset League finished up a couple weeks ago, a lot of them did come to the All American Baseball Challenge. Uh, it's obviously not too far away, just to keep just to keep playing. And obviously, the Somerset League is only is only thirteen games. So at the end of the day, uh, how much exposure can you really get from thirteen games? I, I know an, an interesting way of, of doing it was uh, it was a guy uh, Zach Rakusen. He he played he, for the New Jersey Blasters in the Somerset League on Fridays and Saturdays, but on Thursdays and Sundays when the Somerset League did not play, Zach Rakusen then put started in right field for the uh, for the Rockland Boulders. So I thought that was an interesting way to do it and a p- pretty smart uh, pretty smart way to do it in general. But there's a lot of guys that were added kind of last minute. To, to these rosters, but at least for the stats that I have, uh, unfortunately, they're a little bit outdated. They're about uh, a week old at this point. And just because I, I wish there were stats on baseball reference or, or, or whatever, so I can bring you guys updated stats. But a, a couple a couple guys that I thought were definitely, um, definitely interesting. And unfortunately, I only have the stats for the New Jersey Jackals and the, um, and the Jersey Wise guys, just because, those are the only stats I was able to to really get access to. Specifically, um, one of the guys who really really impressed me uh, on the on the Jersey Wise guys this year was Tucker Nathan's. Tucker Nathan's is what one of the one of the only guys in this league who does have the AAA experience and played AAA not too long ago. Also played in the in the Australian Baseball League last season and. It was really good there in the 20 games. Uh, again, this is as of last week in 20 games in the all American baseball challenge for Tucker Nathan's, he hit four Oh three with an OPS of 1227 as well as three home runs. I mean, he see that his, his approach is definitely a lot more advanced than, than a lot, than a lot of uh, other guys. And not to mention, you also have former big leaguer, Taylor Motter, who was just recently signed. I know he hit a home run, I think, last weekend. Really, really tore it up for, for the time, the limited time that he's been there. He actually started his season out in Korea with, with the Kimum Heroes before he, uh, before he struggled a little bit for the first couple of weeks, and, and he was eventually released. A, a couple other guys, William Salas, who was signed to play with the York Revolution this season, has really taken a nice role as the Jersey Wise Guys leadoff hitter this year. He's been terrific. He's hit 341 with an on-base of on-base percentage of 420, so he's been able to he's been able to walk a good amount. He's definitely been impressive. You can definitely see 
uh, why a guy like Salas was signed to go play in the Atlantic League this season. Uh, I know on the pitching side, the Jersey Wise guys, specifically you have uh, Chase Ingram, Who's who had a who's has a 2.28 ERA in 19 and two thirds innings. Uh, their their guy who's pretty much been their ace, I guess you could say, is Joe Testa. Uh, he hasn't, according to Baseball Reference, he hasn't played since 2017. But Baseball Reference doesn't have all the leagues, so I can't be 100% certain there. Also, another interesting name that Jackals fans might know is Matt Dallas, who actually started in the, as a reliever as you as Jackals fans would probably remember him as, uh, but actually was converted to a starter midway through the season. And in both instances, he's been really, really good for them. In 26 innings, he has a 2.77 ERA with a whomping 45 strikeouts in those 26 innings. I believe that comes out to around 15 strikeouts per nine. So he, he's definitely been really impressive. And when you flip over to the to the New Jersey Jackals, you really notice a couple guys that their names pop out to you right off the bat. I mean, uh, you look at guys like Demetrius Moore, who um, who played for the Jackals, I want to say, in either 2018 or 2019. Last year, I yeah, in 19 he played there. Yep. Okay, yeah. So then you have guys like Jason Agresti, who's definitely impressed as well. He's hitting 306 with a 775. Uh, OPS and even a guy like Ryan Rivera was kind of a, a kind of a surprise to me. I know I in one of the games I went to, I saw him go deep. He's hitting 266 with an on base of 412. He's been the Jackals' leadoff hitter, and they've also added a bunch of guys from the Somerset League, specifically Tommy McCarthy and Dan Valerio. I believe Dan Valerio was signed to play in the Frontier League this year. On the pitching side of things, a name that. I'm sure Jackals fans will know Chris Tessitore. He was supposed to be their ace. He's definitely struggled so far this year uh, with a 741 ERA in 17 innings. Obviously, this is such a small sample size in a lot of senses. Another guy who's been terrific uh, is Edward Reyes uh, for the Jackals. In 36 innings, he has a 175 earned run average. He's He's been outstanding. Uh, for the Jackals, he's definitely been their ace. It'll be interesting to. See. I bet I, I would bet that he gets the ball uh, tonight. Yeah, I mean it's a wide range of talent, but I, as as the season has gone along, it seems that the talent has gotten a lot better, and that that's really what's been interesting to watch for me. I mean, off the top of my head, as far as the other leagues, obviously, like I said, I don't have the this I don't have access to the stats for the two teams that play out of Skylands and the two teams that play out of Rockland. But I know, but Martin Figueroa, after he won the MVP of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series, is now playing with the Sussex County Miners. I know that team. I've only see, got gotten a chance to see them once, but they're definitely probably the favorite for the championship at this point. But with just playing one game, you know, and anything can happen. So it's going to be definitely interesting to see what happens in the All American Baseball Challenge. Oh, yeah. Now, it's very interesting. Again, I wish we had access to more stats so that way I could comment further on it, but you seem to hit most of the most of the nails there. I will say on Tucker Nathans and Eduard Reyes, those are two guys that both ring a bell from last year. Reyes had a very, very good start to last season, and then after the All-Star break, he kind of started to fall apart, and he, uh, he really wasn't the same pitcher. At least it didn't seem to be that way. He, used, he was dealing very well, I think, in 2018. He actually threw a no-hitter against Ottawa, if I'm correct on that. More than that, 
it, this, his second half did struggle a bit there, and I remember him having a couple of really bad starts in the postseason. Now, they obviously didn't matter that much. I mean, the Jackals won the Can-Am Championship, the last Can-Am Championship, so clearly it, uh, it didn't affect them all that much. As for Tucker Nathans, last year with Three Rivers, I know he was a really used more utility guy. They put him just about everywhere, uh, second base, shortstop, third base, a bit of the outfield. He really was just a utility knife, and he played very, very well. And he was one of those guys that I was looking at coming into this year that I was kind of surprised that he didn't move up to an Atlantic League team. Because if you look at his baseball reference page from 2019, it was a very strong year. It was a very good campaign. Yeah. And I was, just, I was very surprised. And I've been beating the drum for Tucker Nathans for quite some time. And a little bit later in the year, probably... I'd say like December or so when we really are at a loss for topics and we do our whole uh, build Gastonia thing. Uh, Tucker Nason is going to be one guy that I'm going to definitely put on my list of guys here because I've been beating the drum for him for quite some time now. And again, this year he's proven that he is still a very, very capable ball player, even in a league that, I mean, as we all know, was kind of just patched together at the last minute. But still, again, the fact they managed to play as many games as they have and haven't had any really major issues, at least publicly, that that I can see is still commendable. The fact that we're going to get a championship out of this league as well. Uh, just some other guys here of note that are playing in the uh, in the American Baseball Challenge. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out and you want to head over there for one of the last uh, games of the year, obviously there's going to be a game at each of the three ballparks. So if you are a Sussex fan, then you could look forward to seeing Nate Rowe, Vin Mazzaro, uh, Martin, Martin Figueroa, the hero of 2018, Pseudo Culver, who originally started in the American Association with Fargo Moorhead this year, and I know that at least as of a couple of days, he was batting about 400, and he was doing what all athletes do and being superstitious and not wanting to see his numbers at all until after the season was done because he thought it would get into his head a bit. And then there's also Gavin Stupinski, who had a very good playoff run. I believe he's been about 500 in the, in the Can-Am playoffs last year. So he was doing very well there. And then uh, a well-known uh, figure in Sussex County in Kevin Grindle. Uh He also was known for his playoffs last year. I believe he got ejected in Game 1, too. But those are just some of the names there. Uh, for the Jackals, you mentioned Den uh, Demetrius Moore. Uh, Kyle Chavez, he's another guy who pitched for Ottawa last year, and I think he's done okay at this point this year. Uh, Chris Tessator, like you mentioned, and then Jason Agresti. Uh, those are a couple of guys that played for the Jackals last year. They're back again uh, in the Boulders, or at least for the Boulders. James Mullery, who was very good in relief last year for Rockland. Uh, I'm not sure, again, what his numbers look like. Uh, this year, I wish I had the numbers so I could tell you them, but I don't know much. You mentioned Zach Rakuzin. Uh, and then, as far as New York Brave are concerned, uh, there really wasn't too much there. Jonathan DeMarte, I believe he was with York last year, so he was a name of note. And uh, Matt Vallon, I know, was with Ottawa last year, and I think he did okay with them. So uh, those are just some names that you could look at uh, in the American Baseball Challenge if you want to get out there for uh, get the last night of games, which is the day of this release, which would be September 12th. Just something to look at should you want to go out to those games. And so with that, I think we kind of wrapped it up. And uh, I'm just going to say Sussex is probably going to win it. I have nothing backing that up, but I'm just going to assume Sussex because I know more of their guys than I know anyone else's. So.
Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with. Yeah, I'll probably agree with you and go with Saw Six. But again, it's it's when you're not playing series in baseball and you're just playing one game, like literally anything can happen. Oh, absolutely. So that's why it's hard to even try to make a prediction here. Unlike with our uh, American Association picks that will be coming down the pipe in just a little bit here. But before we get to that, we are going to pick up a discussion we had last week. It was on uh, MILB and the news that was coming out between them and Major League Baseball in the professional agreement. And there is a little bit of an update on that situation, and then we're going to dive into that ESPN article we were talking about a lot last week and just kind of break down the whole situation, just kind of get us to where we're at now. So we got news this week that Pat O'Connor, the president of MILB, is retiring at year's end. He's held that title for 13 years, and I think what we can all kind of discern from this is that negotiations aren't going well. As we talked about last week, there really is no point in Major League Baseball negotiating. If they just wait, what, another 20 days or so, the the agreement expires. So they have no incentive to really negotiate. They let it expire, they can make the rules. Now, there's there's a lot of history behind it, so I'm going to do my best to kind of condense it and summarize it. Because it goes back to 2018. Every source we use is linked in the show notes, so I would encourage you heavily to go there and read the article for yourself to really get the full details here, but uh, the most thorough way I can do this in a condensed version uh, starts in 2018 when MILB, at the behest of Major League Baseball, lobbied Congress to pass the Save America's Pastime Act. Now, this was under the threat of contraction. Essentially, what happened was Major League Baseball said to the minor league operators, if you don't lobby your members of Congress, the people that you know in Congress, to pass this bill, we're going to have no other option but to start to cut teams. That Our hands will be tied on it. So obviously, fearing for their own survival, MILB went, lobbied, and got the Save America Pastime Act, lobbed in with the spending and budget, and uh, got it passed. Now, in case you're wondering what the uh, Save America Pastime Act is, Essentially what it does allows for MILB players to be exempt from the federal minimum wage, a.k.a. you can pay them less than what the federal minimum wage is. What's that number? That is $7.25 an hour. Now, for comparison here, just using New Jersey as an example, the New Jersey minimum wage is $11 an hour compared to that federal of $7.25. Now, granted, also New Jersey is supposed to go up to 15 by 2024, if I'm right, but that's besides the point. Essentially, it saves the people paying the salaries a lot of money if you can pay them less than $7 an hour, which is exactly what major league clubs can do, which traditionally they have paid for the salary of the players and the coaches. That's been their MO. This passes, and so all the operators assume, okay, we're good, we're not going to lose anybody maybe we'll lose one or two teams a year but you know that's just part of the business they'll be replaced and all will be well well then it comes out in about a year later the fall of 2019 that contraction is happening anyway that this is this was going to happen and as you can imagine all the operators were rather annoyed at this they were pissed off because to them it feels like they were stabbed in the back they were told if we lobby for this bill if we lobby for it to get passed we won't be contracted we will be saved and now less than two years later they find themselves being contracted despite holding up their end of the deal 
there is still a contraction deal to be reached with Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And the deal that is currently on the table is 42 teams will contract. Nobody knows these teams. Not even the operators know the teams. And I believe one of the quotes in the article had said, Major League Baseball made the mistake once of letting people in on what teams will be cut. They're not going to make that mistake again. However, we do know the short season A and the rookie league teams, they would be cut. That we know for certain, but there are, there are a handful of other teams that will need to be cut to make that 42 number. Uh, like I just said, there'll be no rookie or short A ball. And then the other part of it that really puts the operators in a bad position, there'll be a 50-50 net revenue split for all merchandise, broadcast, and sponsorship rights. So that's a that's a very large chunk of their income that's going to now be cut in half. They're going to have to share that with Major League Baseball. So the 42 teams will be, the 42 that are cut will be encouraged to join independent leagues as well as college wooden bat leagues. Major League Baseball does have all the leverage here, as we've said in the past and said just recently, they can wait until the end of September, September 30th to be exact, and the deal will expire, and then Major League Baseball will just be able to set up their own farm system. They won't have to do anything with MILB, which obviously isn't great for the operators of the minor leagues. However, we do still have a lot of infighting here, as in... Minor league owners are obviously upset at this position, and they had even some leverage back before the pandemic, but with it, it just kind of annihilated any sort of leverage they had whatsoever. And there are some owners that believe that are other, that there are other operators and owners in minor league baseball that are kind of turning on each other. They're trying to spare their own team at the cost of somebody else. So I'm reading to that what you will. And in case you were wondering how much it costs to cost for Major League Baseball to fund each of these minor league teams, it's roughly $400,000 per affiliate, which does sound like a lot of money because it's not insignificant, but for a, for a major league team, it's nothing. It really, really is nothing. I mean, that means, to put in perspective, Chris Davis could fund a handful of minor league teams. Hell, he could start his own minor league and fund them almost completely with the money he's being paid. So it's it's not much to a major league club, I'll put it that way. And before the pandemic, there was resistance to this. There was really major market teams. So when I hear major market, I think Boston, I think New York, I think Dallas, Chicago, LA. These kind of clubs were saying, look, we don't want to get rid of all these affiliates. You know, can we just go to 140? Or can we just cut less than that? Can we do it like phased out gradually? Because we can afford to keep these teams going. You know, we have the money. We'd rather pay to develop more guys if we can. That's our preferred method here. But then when the pandemic hit, seemingly all resistance from major league owners vanished overnight. They also weren't thrilled that O'Connor came out with the list in the New York Times and kind of broke ranks with what Major League Baseball was saying. They weren't very happy at that. And some owners also aren't happy at O'Connor for the minor leagues at least. They said that he was disorganized from the beginning of the negotiations and that kind of put them in the position they're in now. Others are backing him saying people are just using him as a scapegoat. It, there's not much he could have done. 
Getting to more relevant news for our podcast, being that we're focused around independent leagues, the three that are rumored to be going, as we mentioned last week and have mentioned in the past, are Sugarland, St. Paul, and Somerset. Somerset being the most likely of them all, and a fun fact for those listening, all three ballparks that those three teams play in have the track math system, so I do wonder how much that plays into it too. Now granted, obviously, proximity to a major league club plays in a lot more, but that's part of the deal there. And then just to wrap up everything here, because I know this has been a lot of information to take in, Major League Baseball is arguing that these teams that aren't being contracted, they're saying that these teams aren't contracted as they're not going away. They have three options. They could join a summer league for college players. They could join an independent league or they could fold. So they're not really being contracted. They're just being kicked out of affiliated minor league baseball and that Really, there is no difference. It's the same level of play. It's the same everything, just different names on the backs of the jerseys, and nobody really particularly cares about the names and the jerseys. They're coming for the experience, not for the players. Obviously, we're going to talk about that in about 30 seconds when I finish this monologue. But the only two things left here is some minor league owners believe that they are sabotaging the value of their... uh, teams being that is in a pandemic as normally these teams go for 10 to 50 million a piece those evaluations are now much lower because of this the major league baseball also said they're going to pay for the indie clubs to join milb so they'll cover the fees there so clearly it's not that much of a money issue and i'll get into what's being done about it after we discuss everything to this point but I need a second to breathe and get a drink of water. So I'm going to allow <laughs> you to comment on this while I try to regather my breath here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a really good summary of uh, of really everything that's happened here. And I guess to start from the beginning, it, it is slimy to the highest order. The fact that the MLB begged, essentially begged minor league owners to get, to get the Save America's Pastime Act passed. And they did it, again, to help their pockets. So uh, the MLB claims that that they needed to do it so minor league teams wouldn't have to keep track of how many hours their players were, were at the ballpark. Yeah. But we we all know the real uh, the real reason is because again they're trying they're trying to help their pockets. They're trying to help the, the 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 owners' pockets by at least by passing the Save America's Pastime Act law and. It, it's and I can't even begin to describe how slimy it is that they said to them that you have to get this passed or else you're getting cut or, or else we're going to have to contract some teams and then after that they 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 get it passed they do everything that they asked them that the MLB asked them to do and then they contract them anyway because why well the same reasons and they wanted to do it before before the pandemic so it's not really. It's not. It's not just about. It's not just about the pandemic in general. So obviously, that's. It's incredibly slimy, and like Nick and I have mentioned so many times before, there there is no leverage for the MILB. We saw some before the pandemic, just because you saw a lot of um a lot of lawmakers, a lot of uh, congressmen, a lot of uh, congressmen and congresswomen, a lot of senators coming out and speaking out in support of their local. Of, of their local minor league teams and and uh, speaking out against against major league baseball. I know Bernie uh, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont was was probably the most prominent figure to to be speaking out against it. I know I know he met with Rob Manfred at, at one point and 
unfortunately, that's kind of gone away just because of the pandemic. And obviously, the MLB can now say that uh, they're they're losing money. They had a 60-game season with no fans. They're losing a ton of money, and they need to make these moves. When in reality, there, there's other ways they could have saved money. Like I talked about on last week's show, I have no problem with them completely reshuffling leagues and affiliates to cut down on travel, to cut costs. I have, I have absolutely no problem with that. However, I, I don't think this is the right way to do it. And, and this whole idea that, oh, they're not being contracted because they're being, quote, encouraged to join a summer college wood bat league and or, and or an independent league. No, you're contracting them. You're contracting them when you can encourage them to do all they want. But are you giving them money to do it? No. Are you are you helping them do anything? No. You're 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 cutting them. You're you're contracting them. And and any other any any other word for it is just wrong because you're not. No matter how much you encourage them to do anything, it's up to the owners at the end of the day, the minor league owners. To make the decision, your encur- the encouragement for Major League Baseball means absolutely nothing, and, and it's just an excuse. It's just a PR move for them to be able to say, "Oh, well, we told them to join a summer uh, a summer wood bat league, or a uh, oh, we well, we told them to go independent." Yeah, well, if they don't have any money to do it, what are you what are you expecting them to do? They have they have no they have no reason to fold. Obviously, that's not the case for every market. Every market is different. I think you'll see a lot more of those. Appalachian teams, uh, Appalachian League teams. I think you'll see more of those rookie ball affiliates. I think you'll see those are the ones that are full that'll that'll kind of fold. And I think you'll see teams like like double A teams or high A teams or single A teams that are ended up um, getting cut by the MLB. I think those are the ones that are more likely you'll see uh, in independent ball. Uh, I mean, I, I've talked to, I've talked about Binghamton, uh, New York, pretty extensively. I think that um, I, I think that they could potentially be an Atlantic League team next season, or uh, maybe a Frontier League team as well. And I think that uh, again, this idea that the MLB can encourage them to do anything is just ridiculous, and, it, and it's just a PR move. And uh, and on the on the note about Somerset, I, I made a post about this uh, last uh, last weekend about the specific Somerset to the Yankees rumors that we didn't really have too much information on on last week's show, but a lot more information came out actually the day that uh, th- that this episode was released. So we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it at, at the same length that, that we have a chance to now. However, as far as the Trenton to Somerset rumors, the, apparently the re- reportedly, I believe this is, this is according to NJ.com, which again, the uh, that article is linked in the show notes if you want to check out that full article. Yeah, it was the My reason, Jersey Central though. That was the... My, if, Jersey, Central, yeah, my, my Jersey Central. Jersey. Central. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of under the same umbrella. Yeah, I mean, but, it's the same uh, thing, but still. So the big reason that Trenton, that the Yankees are really looking into making this move from Trenton to Somerset Basically, the facilities, the stadium in general, is pretty similar. Uh, obviously, Somerset's a little closer to to uh, New York City, but that doesn't really make a huge difference in that sense. The big, the big difference is the playing field. Obviously, Somerset. If, you, if any, if anybody's ever been to Somerset, they do an they do an amazing job 
of upkeep on that field. I, I forget the name of the groundskeeper in Somerset, but he, he does a terrific job uh, w- with the Patriots in keeping their field in, in A-plus condition. And apparently in Trenton, the same cannot be said. There's uh, there, there's problems with, with the outfield grass. There's, pro- there's problems really with the field in general, so much so that for about, I believe, the end of the 2018 season to the – to almost to the end of the 2019 minor league season, the Yankees actually would not send any uh, any of their guys that they needed to send on rehab stints. They would not send them to Trenton because uh, because of their concerns about the field. And that's not just me saying it. That's not just the report. Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, actually said it once when I, I forget the pitcher who was going to make a rehab start, but they sent him to Scranton. Uh, instead of Trenton, and a reporter asked, "Why? Well, Trenton's a lot closer than Scranton. Why not send him to Trenton?" And Aaron Boone says, "Well, we feel a lot. Uh, we feel a lot better about the mound in Scranton than in Trenton, and that. And so apparently, Trenton uh, redid the field. And I know Dylan Betances and Louis Severino made rehab starts in Trenton during the twenty the twenty nineteen playoffs, and uh, the Thunder ended up winning the championship that year, but." Obviously, it's not something that fans can really notice, but it, it's it's a big deal for the Yankees as as it should be. And I know the the Califer family has a ton of connections w- with the New York Yankees. I know they're lifelong Yankees fans. Obviously, that can be shown when you have form when you have Yankees legends Joe Torre and Willie Randolph uh, affiliated with that Somerset Professional Baseball series. And obviously, Sparky Lyle as well, being so involved with the Patriots organization, you can see why the Patriots, along with the field problems in Trenton, why the why the Yankees organization would be interested in bringing it in a team like Somerset. And I again, if as much as it sucks for Indy Ball, if I if if I was Steve Califer, I I don't. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't take this op- opportunity if it was given to you. Obviously, we don't know this. Nothing's done. It's not like an offer is on the table like the Yankees. It's just a matter of if Somerset accepts or not. We're not to that point yet. Although once we hit September 30th, wheels will, the wheels will start turning on so many of these on so many of these things. It. I, I don't see. Obviously, you don't have to pay the players anymore. That's paid by the uh, by the MLB organization. There's, if I was Steve Calvert, there's really no reason not to become affiliated if you're given the chance. Obviously, it can only help attendance. Uh, even though the the quality of play will probably be probably will not change very much, but obviously slapping a Yankees logo onto a, a, a fan base that already does very well as far as showing up to the ballpark. I, I think it would be. I can see why the Yankees are interested. I can see why the Patriots are interested. But it, it's definitely unfortunate for indie ball. And like like we talked about last week, if you can you can theoretically replace Somerset, but can you really replace Somerset? Yeah, it's impossible to ever do that. I mean, there's a lot there. And obviously, from a practical standpoint for each of these three teams, it just makes sense to become affiliated. Your expenses go down. And the BS they're peddling of, look, it's the same, just the no one comes for the players. That BS isn't true. People do come for the players. Let's all be honest, if you have the choice between seeing a bunch of indie ball guys that may or may not have a guy that had 40 at-bats in Major League Baseball and may or may not have been a top 100 prospect at some point in their career play, or watching take your pick of whatever major league or make a rehab start, 
we all know what you're going to be picking to go to. Plus, there's also the whole prospect angle where a lot of people want to go and see that. We discussed that last week at length, how that whole reasoning of, look, they don't come for the players, it's just total BS. And I, I can't even continue to go on that tangent because it's just so nonsensical for that argument alone. But I do like, I like how they've did, you touched on this in the beginning of what you were saying, how Major League was like, oh, look, we did it so that way MILB wouldn't have to count the hours on their players and everything. They make it sound like they're doing them the favor. Like, oh, see, look, we had them lobby because it would make their lives easier. See, yes. we it wasn't for us. It was for them. It, it, it's like when you buy a gift for somebody that you really want and you know they'll let you use. But you bought it for them. You didn't buy it for yourself, although you want it and you know you're going to be able to use it. It's for them. Everything about this is just Major League Baseball going, we're going to do them a favor. <laughs> I mean, we're doing them the favor here. We're not contracting them. They still have options. It's like it's like walking into work and them telling you, look, you're not fired. Just if you send us any more of your work and you do any more of it, we're not going to accept it and we're not going to pay you anymore. You're free to yeah. show up. But we're not letting you in the building. We're not letting you do the work. And if you do it anyway, we're not accepting it. And you're not getting Nick, a paycheck regardless. You're encouraged to get another job. Yeah, exactly. It's what it is. It's just ridiculous that they're trying to paint this as, they're not being contracted. It's like, we didn't just cut half our staff. We just did a strategic readjustment of our employment structure. It's, it's a bunch of corporate speak for, we cut half the staff. It's the same thing here. And like you were saying, I have no issue if you want to rearrange how the minor league system's done. It doesn't make much sense that there's a AAA affiliate of a team in Los Angeles in the middle of Oklahoma. That makes no sense. It makes no sense that a team on the East Coast, their AAA affiliates on the other side of the country. It makes no sense there. So if you wanted to go with structured affiliates and everything like that, that's fine. If you want to restructure how the teams are and all that, that's fine. But Again, it just to call 42 teams is ridiculous. The fact you couldn't even just go, okay, well, we want to cut either the low A or the rookie ball. We don't see much of a need for it. We think we could do it better. We think we could just wind up throwing it into our spring training facility and save some money there. Fine. If you really have the need to cut one of those two leagues, I'm still not thrilled about it because you definitely can afford it, but I can understand doing it and... All in all, if 20 teams have to die so another 20-plus can live, so be it. But it's just ridiculous because they know damn well they're signing the death warrant for baseball in dozens of communities. I mean, realistically, how many of these teams can realistically join another league? I I really do want to know here because I don't think it's that many. I think it's yeah. at max 10, and maybe you see a couple of these smaller ones like the Appalachian League and uh, the, the league that the Montana teams are in, maybe the one that the Colorado Springs one is in. Maybe they form their own league. Maybe they have something going there where they could still kind of be like, look, it's still kind of the same. We're still playing the same cities, even though they're probably not going to be able to keep the branding. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And even still, you may want to just do a total rebrand to kind of differentiate yourself. Who knows on that front there, but even still, it's going to be really hard. Like, what what are these kind of more Western teams banking on? Like, for Rocky Mountain there, are they banking on, like, the Western Association, which hasn't made a peep in over a month now? 
and poke their head out of the darkness that they've been in for three months, only about a month ago. Uh, they're supposed to join that league like it's going to get off the ground. They're supposed to join the Pecos League and call that the same quality of play as rookie ball. Yeah, like, yeah but, but Nick, they, 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 the fans won't even notice. Oh, yeah, of course not. They won't even notice. Yeah, I'm not going to notice the difference between watching an 18-year-old Mookie Betts and watching a 30-year-old whomever. Like, we talk up a lot of these guys, and we, we know a decent amount of these guys that play indie ball, but they'll be the first ones to tell you that there there's a difference. There's a difference in the players here, that they had their chance at 18-19. Most of them didn't get above high A at 18-19. These guys, there's a system. There's a system here, and people all know. There's a reason why you can charge the difference in prices that you do. And it's just, it's ridiculous, and it's it's really sad to see this. Because you know how this is going to go. You know how it's going to go. It's going to just continue the trend of baseball dying in smaller areas and becoming less and less popular of a sport. And if you want to make baseball into the same tier of popularity as horse racing and boxing, this is a terrific way to do it. It's terrific. But, of course, Major League Baseball will always have that kind of stature. If you want to play baseball, you're always going to go to Major League Baseball. There's not much that's going to change about that. But what's certainly going to change is the way it's viewed and how popular it is. And already, there's a well-known thing that Major League Baseball doesn't want the World Series on at the same time as football because they know they're going to get killed in the ratings for that. If you think that's bad, just get ready for when this comes home to roost. It'll take time. It'll be like two decades, maybe two and a half or even three before you really see the effects of it. But you're going to see the effects of it, and there's no way around it. And it's not to mention, too, the fact that this is all motivated by the fact they just want to cut down on the number of rounds in the draft. Now, keep in mind, you could just pass on draft picks if you didn't want to. Like, there's dozens of teams that after a certain round go, oh, we're done. We picked all the guys we want. And they just stop picking. You can do that. That's an option. But they just don't want to be bothered. They just want to go to 20 rounds and call it good. Because let's be honest, we're trending towards a 20-round draft. Oh, yeah. No, I think think we're definitely going to see a a 20-round draft next year. Now, again... Do, do I think that MLB teams need 40 rounds? Probably not. But again, cutting it like completely in half is, is it, 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 it's absurd. And it's, it's just, there, there's no, and I think you made a really good point as far as these rural communities out, uh, out in the Midwest or out in, um, Montana or in the Appalachian League in Kentucky and West Virginia, or or even if you wanted to throw in like uh, like Binghamton in there in upstate New York, these these are how how is the MLB thinking that they're not going those communities are not going to become disengaged with the sport of baseball when they're only up now their only opportunity to go to a baseball game is an as a major league baseball game which there's not even. And in, in, in even like there, there's nothing even in a remote area. There's where are they supposed to go? And, and you're expecting them to just watch baseball on their television and never go to a baseball game ever. Like it's just not how it works. It's not how you grow the game. And obviously, th- there's a need to grow the game. And taking baseball out of rural communities is just it's just not the way. It, again, if you want to change affiliates, if you want to restructure leagues. No one has any issue with that. 
it will fans notice that really notice the difference if you make a twins affiliate now a diamondbacks affiliate now they will not however you're right in the sense, Nick. You're definitely right in the sense that you're trying to, you're killing baseball in these communities where this is their, this is their one connection to to the to our to our national pastime, and it's so unfortunate. And then you're, and then you're just saying them, oh well, you can become a college wood bat league. Oh, terrific! You can get, you can get a bunch of, you can play a thirty game season over two months where uh, the players are not paid, and you have. And you're basically pulling guys, some Power Five guys that didn't get many many opportunities to play, or you got like like lower Division One or maybe Division Two if you want if you want to go to like you got a um, dude that was redshirted at Vanderbilt, and then you got a couple of guys that played at Montclair State, and then you got yeah. a couple of guys that you know they're just kind of messing around at community college, but it's the best community college in the Pacific Northwest though, so I mean that kind of makes it a Division Three school. But you're telling me that they're going to play baseball for two months and, and people are just not going to notice because all because you, you just assume people are brain dead and just go watch to see to see fireworks go boom, boom, boom after games. Like, no, that, that's not that, that, that's not what the, the majority of of baseball fans go, go to minor league baseball games for. And, and it's re- it's really, really sad to see. And even more than that, though, they're expecting you to get like decent college players to go, you know what I want to do for the next three months? Live in Helena, Montana. Yeah. Live in East Nowhere, West Virginia. That's what I want to do with my summer. You're gonna yeah. get, you're gonna get a whole lot of Pac-12 kids doing that. When meanwhile they could just play in California. You're gonna get a lot yeah. of East Coast kids doing that when they could just play in Massachusetts. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You're not gonna get that at all. And they know what they're doing. And I mean, like, let's say you live in Montana. Now the highest level of play you could hope for is the college wooden bat league with a handful of Division One players, and if not that, then your next highest level is probably the University of Montana, and then outside of that, it's just local colleges, and then once you get through that, then it's just high school level. That is the highest level of baseball you have, and that's not just in your state; that's in your surrounding region now, because now you'd have to go to Idaho. To get a to see baseball, which I assume the only team there is in Boise, or at least will be when they're done with this. Or let's see, where else could you go? I believe they back up to the Dakota, so you could go over to the Dakotas. But most of that baseball is on the far side from you. Or you could go down south, which I believe backs up to Wyoming on the one end. Which again, I don't see much baseball surviving in Wyoming. There isn't much there now. So where exactly are you supposed to get that? And then also, let's not forget, if you're in, like, Iowa, you get blacked out if you're trying to stream the game. And it's not just you get blacked out from, like, the Cardinals. You get, like, blacked out from the Cardinals, both Chicago teams, Minnesota, and I believe there's one other one. You get blacked out by the five closest teams. So regardless of AL or NL, you just can't see it. So what, what are you supposed to be doing? Like, I never got the blackout thing. I understand it's to encourage people to buy the TV package. I understand it's to get people into the ballpark. But if you're in Iowa, you may be going to, and you're a Cubs fan, you may be going to Wrigley once a year, maybe. Probably more like once every couple of years. And that's if you're a big fan. If you're just like a casual fan, you may go once a decade. You may not even go, period. And if you're trying to get involved... how are you supposed to watch it? Especially if you don't have a cable package. Like, yeah. it, again, it goes back to the youth aspect. 
They don't understand how many young people actually are not paying for cable and are streaming things. And you're making it harder for them. It's like you're making the people you plan to be taking their money from for your product and making it harder for them to access your product. And, and not only and not only that not yeah. only that, but it, it'd be one thing if the MLB was just doing what every other professional league's doing, but they don't. But like the, the NBA begs people to take their content. They beg people to to make to to take highlights of their of their top players and market them. They beg people to do that for free. Like the, the MLB is the only one who has like these ridiculous blackouts, and they wonder why why baseball is dying in certain communities. Exactly, it's, it's ridiculous, and it's like, how many times am I supposed to readjust? If it's one or two inconveniences, fine. If I really want to see it, I'll get it. But you know what? If every time I go to watch it, I see blackout, 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 and every time I try to listen, I can't listen to it on the radio, or I gotta pay for, I gotta pay like six dollars to listen to a radio broadcast. Or I, I can't even find a stream of it. I can't find clips of what's happening. Eventually, I'm just going to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm done with it. I'm over it. it, it that's all that's going to happen. And we talked about in the past how terrible they are at marketing stars. And how Juan Soto should be one of the biggest names. Vlad Guerrero Jr. should be one of the biggest names. Fernando Tati should be one of the biggest names. And how if you went around to most, like the average American on the street... They'd have no idea who any of those three players are. Maybe mm-hmm. Flag Guerrero Jr. because they confuse him with his dad. But that's that's the best case scenario there. And that's just yeah. another reason there. All three of them are exciting young players that have personality, but refused. You they just refuse to market it. They refuse to. Well, Mike Trout could be the best ball player we've seen since Mickey Mantle, and they refuse to market him. I don't get it. Yeah, it, it's bizarre. And again, then they they, they want to point the finger at oh, uh, like like y- y- young our younger audience do- doesn't watch baseball because it's boring and they have short attention spans. No, it's because you're a moron and don't know how to. You're a bunch of morons and don't know how to one like market your product to like modern age, which is streaming, and you don't know you don't market your players and you're like continuing to take baseball out of communities and you wonder why. Yeah. It's like, look at the shows that are successful, just outside of it. What are some of the most successful shows around the popular sports? Well, around the NFL, Hard Knocks is one of them. You could easily do that for spring training. I believe they tried in the past and then gave up on it. But that's something you could do. You could do a Last Chance U type thing with Indie Ball. That's something that I've been beating the drum for for a while. And I thought with like a Road Warrior team would be really good. You could easily do something like that. And that would really draw up interest for these guys. You could even give like, um, when you buy MLB TV, you could give access to the minor leagues as well. So that exactly. way you could draw a connection there. And during in-game here, I'm not sure how many teams do this. And it's been a while since I've been to a major league game. I mean, obviously, it's been like about a year now, but... You could even do in between innings, you do an update for your minor leagues. You do things like that. You promote things. It's just, they seem to not have any idea how to market. It just, it's, it's mind boggling. And then they duffed the whole 2020 season. I mean, how many different outbreaks from different teams? They've been good for a while now, but you had like what, two or three to really get going because well, they were two, two, two were big and then they had Mets. A's and Reds each had like one one case on each team. Yeah, so you had the two major blowups, and then you admitted defeat and said, "Okay, for the postseason, we should pro- we should probably do a bubble." What I want to know is, 
why you didn't think to do that in the beginning. Like, you're telling me that in the beginning, you couldn't have found four hub cities to play games out of for the for divisions? You couldn't put the eastern teams and base them out in New York, where there's two major league caliber ballparks? You're telling me you couldn't do that for the central and use Texas and Chicago, again, where there's two major league caliber ballparks, and for the west, you used LA? And use the Bay Area too, where you have four ballparks between the two? Like, you could have easily had each division play out of one ballpark, turn it into a hub, have them play each other, and then just move each around to different hubs. You could have made this real simple. Hell, for 60 games even, just have each of those, the Eastern teams play the Eastern teams, the Central play the Central, and the Western play the Western. It It's not that hard. It's pretty straightforward. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's like they intentionally shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, just to wrap up, because I know a while ago, like 20 minutes ago now, I said I'll mention what you could do or what's being done about the whole contraction thing. And, well, you did touch on this. There are some members of Congress that do want to do something about it because they equally feel like they their teams are being screwed, and obviously that's going to hurt the economy in their state or district. So some members of Congress do want a hearing on this. Others are promoting the revocation of the MLB antitrust, which would then open them up to a lawsuit and kind of kill their whole one baseball idea. Uh, however, there really isn't much of a groundswell for removing the antitrust there. But again, if it does go, they could easily be sued over this. And they probably would not fare well in court, too. But uh, right. we'll, well, obviously, we'll have more information over the next coming weeks and probably two or three weeks from now when we come on. That first show in October, we'll probably have a whole lot of movement there. So it'll be something yep. to watch for. But as we're about an hour in, we should probably get to that American Association League talk now. So obviously, we have the championship matchup set. Is going to be Milwaukee versus Sioux Falls. Milwaukee locked in home field advantage. It's really only was kind of a half week. Uh, and after Wednesday, really, there was nothing much to play for as uh, everything was chalked up and decided here. So seeing as it was only really a half week, and really outside of just having a player and pitcher of the week to end the year, we really don't have much actual baseball to discuss because, like I said, the vast majority of games this week were meaningless for a lot of these teams. As yeah. The writing was kind of on the wall after Sunday as to what the what the postseason would be. So I figured we could just kind of quickly run through each of these teams and how their regular season went and, you know, just our general thoughts about them. And then we'd get to all the awards for the season and then just break down the championship matchup. And then we'll be just about done. Uh, easier said yep. than done, but we'll just kind of start in reverse order. And we'll start with Chicago. Uh, they finished 26 and 32, dead last seven and a half games, or I believe actually wound up being seven games out of first place. And obviously they were well out of the playoff hunt. They were the first team eliminated from postseason contention. And I think it's fairly safe to say it was a really disappointing year for them. The batting never really got itself on the right track. Big bats hit slumps at the wrong time. They can never really get three or four bats all working in sync. The starting pitching really also put them behind the eight ball. And there were some bright spots out of the bullpen. But by and large, it was just kind of, uh, it was just kind of, I don't want to say a train wreck year. Because at the end of the day, they were, they weren't that far under 500. And to be fair to both Chicago and Sioux Falls, they had their doubleheader Last night, so Thursday night, rained out both games. So they will finish with 58 games played as opposed to 60. So in all fairness to them, they 
if you call it a split of the doubleheader, which was realistic to believe, they did only finish, what, about five games, six games under 500. So it's not like it's this god-awful year, but even still, it wasn't uh, anything to really look at. And it's interesting when you talk about how they finished last place and were five games under. I think that really just speaks to how balanced the league was this year and how, uh, how, how evenly matched the league was this year. So, I mean, I think that, that made it definitely exciting on a league note, but specifically with the dogs, I thought they had a lot of talent. They had a lot of talent on paper, a lot of Atlantic league names. Uh, they did have a lot of, um, kind of additions at the last second after the Atlantic league officially, uh, canceled their season. I mean, you look at guys like like Thomas Dormany and Scott Schumann and Michael Krause and or well, Krause was there all, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, same thing uh, with Dormany. Ty, Ty, I think. Tyler Ladendorf yeah. uh, as well. Uh, Derek Granitz too. Yeah, he like came they, over. They, they they threw in a lot of guys kind of at the last second, and I mean, you you wonder if that had any effect, but they they. Their team, I still think, is better than their record shows. I think maybe in a in a, in a normal length season, maybe they would have they would have gone on a run at some point. But de- definitely a disappointing year for them. I think you you already touched on a lot of uh, a lot of aspects and why why their season went the way it did. But it, for dogs fans, it, it's got it's got to be disappointing to have a team that on paper looked this talented and unfortunately was not able to to put the pieces together. Yep, and so. Uh... I thought it'd be kind of cool if we did one thing for each team, which was kind of pick our player MVP and our pitcher MVP from the team. And so for me, on as far as the season goes, uh, Edwin Arroyo was really the one of the few really, really consistent guys throughout the year. He did have a couple of not-so-great weeks mixed in there, but he did finish batting 300. He hit four home runs, and I believe he had an OPS of 797. So not exactly the best, but as far as that team's concerned, one of the better guys on that team. Uh, Turdislavich also turned it around too, though. And then as far as uh, pitching goes, for me, it was pretty clear cut between two guys, and I wound up going with Luke Westfall at 342 ERA. He struck 75 out, and he only allowed 63 base runners on the year. So uh, not bad from the from the starter for them. But those are really two of the few bright spots I saw from this year. I think we both had the same final two. But I, I went the I went another direction uh, in, in both uh, for I, for my player the my position player of the year for the dogs I did go with uh, Joey Tordoslovich um, slight Atlantic League bias there but yeah. that, that's all right uh, he did have a, a 989 OPS in 58 games he was it was one of their consistent power threats through, through the entire lineup. Um, it, it, it sucks because he keeps mashing an indie ball. Uh, he'll get like a brief shot in double A and he'll be back in indie ball. So, uh, hopefully he gets another chance, but it's another chance soon, but he, he definitely had a great year for the dogs. And for my pitcher of the year, I went, I went with Thomas Dormany again, maybe a slight Atlantic league bias, uh, or slash Somerset Patriots. Bias, I was going to say it's a Somerset bias there. Eh, that's all right. Uh, he, he, he had a real nice year out of the rotation he had a 363 era in 11 starts um his era is a lot lower in the beginning of the year towards the middle as well kind of fell off a little bit towards the end but i I still think nice year and was probably in my opinion the the best pitcher on the dogs this season yep all right so we'll go to the next team up which is fargo moorhead 28 and 32 fifth place 
and they finished about six games out of first place and about four out of a postseason spot. The starting pitching was surprisingly high quality when I wound up looking at it. It really wasn't bad at all. And uh, their bullpen, that, that was really where the issue came. And at the end of the day, their batting was actually not terrible. I mean, it was really two major guys that contributed there, Drew Ward and Carell Prime, which, if I had to guess, I think we both have the same uh, MVP for the position player. But yeah. Carell Prime does deserve some some sort of praise here because he did just miss out on the batting crown. By just that style, I mean, it came down to one at bat. Uh, Ward right. wound up getting a base hit. Prime wound up flying out, and that was really what broke the tie there. But even Dylan Kelly contributed a lot. Forrest Alday, when he got in, played well. Sam Dexter, he was only there for really the last third of the year, but he did pretty decent as well. Same thing with Leo Pena, a guy that was kind of low-key flying under the radar, but being very successful there too. And then Christian Nabarro was another guy that contributed on offense there. But like I said... Uh, the bullpen kind of really pinned him behind the eight ball. They had a really, really, really slow start. And I believe they wound up being like something like four and seven in one run games. So that also doesn't help when you drop that many. And obviously Mitchell Austinwitz was not the best guy from the start of the year in the bullpen there. And that definitely worked against them. But uh, yeah, so just my player of the year for them is uh, Drew Ward. He batted. 341 he also hit 17 home runs so that's definitely working in his favor there and uh, an OPS of over a thousand for Drew Ward and then my pitcher of the year from him is Matt Tomshaw a 2.68 ERA 62 Ks 84 base runners still a, a solid year from Tomshaw yeah um as far as Far- Fargo Moorhead in general they got off to a pretty miserable start However, it was really good to see some life from them at the end of the year. They re- they really started to put it together. Unfortunately, too little, too late. Uh, more more emphasis on the too late part of it, but uh, it was that overall is a disappointing year uh, for Fargo Moorhead, a, a franchise that that is used to a lot of success. Uh, as far as as far as my player and pitcher of the year for them, I. I'm completely completely in agreement as as you kind of alluded to. Uh, Drew Ward is my my player of the year, and uh, Matt Tomshaw is my pitcher of the year for uh, for the Red Hawks. And to be honest with you, I can't believe Matt Tomshaw's an indie ball. Like seriously, like la- la- you look at his numbers last year in the White Sox organization in Double A in, in 75 innings in Double A in a 2.40 ERA, and then in AAA, in 36 and two-thirds innings, he had a 3.93 ERA. I have no idea why he's in um, he's in indie ball right now. Hopefully, he's back. Uh, he he gets a spring training invite and he's back into a flated ball next year. Because I'll, I'll be honest, as much as I, I love talent and guys in indie ball, I, I I don't think he has really any business of playing in indie ball. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, he's back into a flated ball next year. Absolutely. Although I will say, there's a lot of guys from the American Association. Which, when we do this Gastona kind of build, I'm going to be looking to poach a lot of these guys. Because, to be honest, guys like Tom Show, like you said, he, he doesn't deserve to be here. He deserves to be higher up. And there's going to be a lot of guys we're going to talk about that deserve to be higher up in just a minute. And, to be fair, there's a handful of them on this next team we're going to talk about, which is the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. They finished fourth in the American Association, 29-31, and 31, about five out of first place about three out of a playoff spot, and they just kind of fell apart come August. It just, they went from almost a surefire lock for the postseason 
damn near surefire lock for first place in the league. And it just, it just fell apart. Completely and utterly fell apart at the worst possible time. Uh, the bats went cold. The pitchers just couldn't perform. Then it became one would perform, the others wouldn't. And it just, it was a, it was a miserable, really couple of weeks there for them. And they're by far the most disappointing team because in July they looked elite. Even in the first week of August, they looked elite. Everyone was hitting. They were running up scores. The pi- Sure, the pitching started to become a little suspect, but at the end of the day, it didn't really matter that much. And yeah, it's, it's just really disappointing to see Winnipeg uh, miss out here, but they did it to themselves. There's no other way of putting it. And uh, as far as player and pitcher MVP, I have Kyle Martin as my player MVP. He batted 333, OPS 912, 14 home runs. My pitcher would be Victor Capion. He set the American Association saves record. I believe he had 14 this year, but now he's also the all-time save king in the American Association. I believe he's also pushed himself in the top five in all of indie ball too. Uh, for what that's worth, and uh, wow. yeah, he he had a 1.40 ERA, 24 Ks, 30 base runners allowed, and in any other year, he'd have a very, very strong case for reliever of the year. However, Milwaukee happened this year, and Peyton Gray happened this year, and uh, that's all there really is to be said about that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I, I really put my faith in Winnipeg to get off that, to get off that snide. Uh, and, and unfortunately they did not do that. They, they just kept free falling specifically in that series against Fargo Moorhead where they, they lost seven in a row in that series, right? Yeah. Yeah. They lost in seven in a row. They lost seven in a row. And then they wound up going on an 11 game losing streak, which wound up being the longest of the season and only four off from tying the American association record for most consecutive yeah. losses. Yeah, you're you're just not going to recover from that. There's not really much else to be said. It's incredible, incredibly disappointing. Maybe if they were playing at their home ballpark, some maybe that maybe that would have helped them out a little bit. Uh, they were the only team in the American Association who did play at uh, at their hub city that was not their home ballpark for the entire uh, for the entirety of the 60 game season. Obviously, due to uh, border issues. With Canada, that was always probably going to be the case that they would have to be in Fargo Moorhead uh, as their home ballpark for the season. So obviously, that's that's not easy. Um, it, it's definitely not easy for for them. But they they should they should have been a lot better than this. Twenty nine and thirty one is incredibly disappointing for a team that really looked talented. Unfortunately, it, it really so many aspects of their team fell apart down the stretch, specifically. Starting pitching wise, when you look, Mitchell Lamson, Frank Duncan, uh, and, and um, Brandon Compton kind of fell apart down the stretch after strong starts to the season, and it, 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 it's a really it's a difficult pill to swallow for for them that they were so good at the at the beginning of the year and they looked like a shoe in for for the championship series and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, but for my. Uh, my position player of the year, uh, and again, uh, we're, we're in agreement uh, as far as Kyle Martin. He had a terrific year at the plate, and so no no, no disagreement there. And I also went with Victor Capion. I usually don't love going with um, with relievers for uh, for any like pitcher of the year type award unless it specifically states reliever of the year. 
However, um, there really wasn't much of another choice. I mean, the, the only other guy I was really considering was Ken Hasler, and he's also a reliever. So I, I did go with Victor Capion for reasons you already stated. Obviously, congratulations to him uh, setting the Amer- all-time American Association saves record. We'll see if he continues to keep climbing up the overall indie ball uh, rankings. And so we'll, we'll, he'll be an interesting storyline next year if he continues to play uh, in indie ball next year. Of course, hopefully, we're, we're all hoping he gets a shot, but he's probably a bit old to get to get a shot at this point, but we will we will have to see. Absolutely. And then just one of the guy in addition to Kent Hasler that I wanted to mention, or really two guys uh, that did play well for Winnipeg this year out of their bullpen was Nate Anton. I believe he played a little bit for Sussex last year too. And technically Anton is still a rookie. He didn't meet the 30 uh, innings pitched requirement. So if he does come back to the American Association next year, he is still classified as a rookie. So he may be in the running for that too. And he had an ERA of just over three and a half. Uh, he looked pretty decent in the 25 innings he pitched. He did allow 10 runs, but he really wasn't as bad as that would say. He also got thrown to some mop-up duty and had one or two bad appearances, but by and large was pretty good. And then Jose Jose was another guy who really did well. He joined a little bit later because he started on the injured list, and then he wound up coming back in, and he had an ERA a little over two as well. So he was a solid setup man for Victor Campion, and I really do think Jose Jose should be in a major league system, I think he does have a future as being that perfect kind of eighth inning guy who can come in and stem the gap. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, again, I just really do want to emphasize how disappointing Winnipeg season was because they really should have been better than this. But what can you do? We moved to St. Paul now. They were a perfect 500 on the year. They came off of a championship winning season in 2019. And ultimately, while they weren't able to repeat it, they wound up falling, I believe, only about two games out of uh, that first, uh, that final playoff spot here, which it's kind of funny. They would have won last night over Fargo-Moorhead. It would have made it a lot more interesting as they would have had the same exact amount of wins as Sioux Falls, and they would have been one game behind them. And the two games that Sioux Falls would have gotten rained out would have meant something if... Uh, if not for that sweep and losing the tiebreaker, that could have been a very difficult position for the American Association to be in last night, considering the rain. But uh, ultimately, we didn't find ourselves in that position. Ultimately, St. Paul kind of put themselves up the creek by getting swept last week by the Canaries. And ultimately, uh, their pitching was really their downfall, I would say. Their pitching, for the most part, was pretty suspect outside of a handful of guys. Mike Devine, Matt Salter, Jameson McCrane being the three most uh, reliable guys on that whole pitching staff. And their small ball approach only worked for so long. Eventually, you just kind of gave out. And that's kind of the issue with small ball. When it works, it works very effectively. But when it kind of dies out, you have no other source of offense. And at least with power... Uh, when that dies out, you can kind of switch approach and make it work for a short period of time when you're solely focused on small ball. You can't just all of a sudden develop a lot of power. And most players are not itchy where they could just kind of turn it on at a moment's notice. And that was kind of proven this year for me. Uh, Mikey Reynolds was my player of the year from St. Paul. 
Uh, he batted 332, a 9.15 OPS. He hit seven home runs. His numbers aren't uh, aren't really that gaudy, but for a guy that joined on the second day of the season, and he just kind of fit in. Again, another utility knife type of guy who was originally signed to High Point, which really, when you go through all the guys' High Point side, it really makes me disappointed we weren't able to see that team take the yeah. field this year. But regardless, while his numbers aren't gaudy, Reynolds did play very well this year. He was very consistent, very even-keeled guy, and someone that you could just kind of count on to get a hit when you needed a hit. And uh, he was one of the few guys in that lineup that really just was just dead even consistent and consistent on a high level. Pitcher of the year, it should come no surprise to me from St. Paul, and I'm pretty sure we're all going to agree on pitcher of the year in the whole league. Uh, Mike Devine, a 257 ERA, he struck 59 out, allowed or struck 89 out, my mistake. He led the league in strikeouts, and uh, he had 83 base runners allowed. Uh, so that's my make of St. Paul. If they had like another two weeks, I think they would have wound up making the postseason, but unfortunately they didn't have that, and again, a team that did it to themselves. If they just could have avoided getting swept, they could have really made things interesting, but yeah, them's the yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It all came down to that to that Sioux Falls series where they ended up getting swept, and they kind of they kind of put themselves out of it. There's definitely some bright spots on this team. Of course, you talk about we've talked about Mike Devine over and over and over again on this show. Um, and as far as their small ball approach outside of a guy, outside of John Silviano, who is their main power source this year, and, and even Mikey Reynolds showed some power this year, hitting seven home runs in in, in his uh, 58 games. So uh, I, I think you mentioned pretty, pretty much all of it. I think they needed more consistency. They need more consistency from their pitching staff uh, and, and their bullpen as well. Jameson McGrain definitely had a, had a nice year for them uh, as well as the closer, as I expected, after an awesome year with York last year. Yeah, as far as my, my play, I think I, before I get into that, I, I think you're definitely right as far as uh, this team's definitely really talented. And I think that uh, I, I do think they are better than Sioux Falls, to be honest with you. I, I'd I think, agree with that. I'd agree and with I that think, entirely. I think, yeah, I, I, think they're, I think they're a better team. Uh, but unfortunately, when you, when you get swept in a race that, that's, that's this close, when you have so little room for error in a 60-game season, this is kind of what happens. But uh, unfortunately... And not to mention, there's uh, a two a two team playoff is not normal. So St. Paul's kind of the one that kind of got screwed out of all of this. But um, yeah, so I, I agree when in both senses as far as uh, player of the year and pitcher of the year. Mikey Reynolds had had an awesome year. I, I was pretty high on Mikey Reynolds coming into the year. I didn't e- I even, but even I didn't even didn't expect this kind of offensive production from him. He, he was absolutely outstanding for St. Paul this year. And Mike Devine, what, what else can we say about the guy? I mean, it, j- j- just, just, for, uh, just for laughs at the end of the year, he just put up a, a, a normal start for him uh, in his last start of the regular season of seven and a third innings, five hits, two earned runs, and 13 strikeouts because, you know, why not? And also he did get a chance to be a position player for a little bit too on Tuesday night. There was an injury to who was catching. I forget who was catching for the for the Saints, but they had was it Chinea. It may have been Chinea, but I think he was DHing because then he had to go behind the plate, and then they had to bring Alonzo Harris in to bat. Then he was on base. Then Troy Alexander got hit by a pitch up high, like right on the chin, and then they needed a base runner for him. 
So instead of using Mikey Reynolds, who was the only guy left on the bench for him, they wound up going with Mike Devine in to run. So we got to <laughs> run and then score the go-ahead run. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He can so, do it all. Exactly. He's a, he's a renaissance man. Yes, he is. So now we go to the two playoff teams here. We'll go more in-depth to each of the teams when we break down the championship matchup here. But just as a quick overview, Sioux Falls went 31-27, and 27, second in the league. They finished two games out of first place. Uh, they're an extremely good batting team. Uh, there's no way around that. They have a lot of different weapons. Uh, however, I would say their pitching is extremely suspect. There's nobody in particular... Uh, that I really fear when I look at that whole rotation. Maybe Tyler Danish, maybe Jake Zocan, uh, but that's about it. Even Keaton Steele, who's their closer, and I think he has 16 saves, he wasn't that, like, lights out this whole year. So, I mean, there's there's some suspect elements to that team. For me, my player of the year from them was Logan Landon, uh, 333, 909, and 10 home runs. My pitcher of the year from them was Jake Zocan. He pitched in Rockland last year, and he looked pretty good there. I think it was kind of like an in-between. Like He was kind of like a four-inning guy for them. Sometimes he'd start, sometimes he'd come out of the pen, but he had an ERA of 3, 41 strikeouts, 68 base runners allowed for the Canaries. And to be quite honest here, I'm a little surprised they managed to rebound. They were in first place for a while at the beginning of the year. Then they kind of fell out of contention. And then they worked their way back into it. So good for them. They took control of what they could control and they put themselves in the position they want to be in. But I'm not totally sold on them as a complete team and as a team that's really going to put up much of a fight against Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with everything you said. I, I think, I, I, unfortunately, um, I, I think the third best team made the uh, made the championship series. And, uh, and uh, now... Unfortunately, like you mentioned it, their, their offense is terrific. I mean, the, the, their offense is weapons up and down the lineup. It, it, it is a dangerous, dangerous offense. But unfortunately, to win any playoff series, you're going to need starting pitching. And um, they, they have a couple solid guys. I mean, T- Tyler Danish, since he's, get, since he's uh, come to Sioux Falls, has really been good. And that's why he's actually my, my pitcher of the year, despite the fact he's only uh, he hasn't been there for the entire season. I just didn't really know. Who else? Who else to go with? But uh, I mean, Tyler Danish has he has um, he has big league experience. Uh, he's probably, but unfortunately, he can only probably go like what game one and game five of the series I, uh, against Milwaukee. So I would say um, I think what depends a lot is what you look like after that second game in Sioux Falls after game four. I think if you're tied it to a piece, I think you hold on to him for game six. I think if it's 3-1, then obviously you got to throw them out there. If it's 3-1 against, I mean, if Milwaukee's late in that series, then you have to run them out there in Game 5. They have a travel day, right, in between? They do have one travel day, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always a fan of the four-man rotation yeah. in, the, uh, in, in a playoff series just because there, there's very few rotations uh, in, in, in baseball at any level that have five really good starting pitchers. I mean, the Cleveland Indians and in the MLB are just – that's pretty they're pretty much the only exception to that rule so i've always been a fan of going uh get game one and game five for uh for your ace and even if you if you have if you want to go a short rest you can go one four and seven you could do the Corey kluber of the 2016 world series but uh yeah but i, I think i think tyler danish will give him a chance to win whenever he's out there i'm not sure if i can say the same for the rest of the pitching staff 
But hey, maybe they could, maybe their offense can win a shootout. But unfortunately, they're running into a juggernaut of a pitching rotation in in Milwaukee. So I don't know how that's going to go for them. But as far as my player and pitcher of the year, um, I, I don't I, I don't think there's. Um, I went with Tyler Danish for pitcher of the year, and I went with uh, Logan Landon for the position player of the year for them. I cannot believe he's on a 26 game hitting streak. That is just ridiculous. So hopefully we'll see if you can keep that up in the Milwaukee series. Oh yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see him go against uh, one of those dynamo pitching staffs. And you mentioned there's not many in baseball that have five guys that can go at any given time. Milwaukee may be other exceptions. Yeah, Milwaukee here. might be one. The, the two exceptions, Cleveland Indians and Milwaukee milkmen of the American association. <laughs> I mean, look, just let's look at Milwaukee. Like, there isn't a weak spot when it comes to pitching, so we'll go right to them. 34-26 and 26 on the year. They finish in first place. Obviously, they're no games back of first and no games back of a playoff spot here. Uh, it's just elite pitching. Like, realistically, I can't look at that whole pitching staff and go, they're not good at pitching. Like, they're all, they all are. I mean, you could, if you really want to, like, cherry pick, you could, I guess make an argument that oh venture it sound like you're very convinced in yeah. whatever this argument yeah. is yeah it's also me trying to scramble as i pull up the stats for him in front of me but i just know like ventura is like the only remotely close to weak spot as far as uh pitching goes but even then that's really really hard to say he's been bad he had two bad starts and that's about it plus he also got screwed last night and only pitched like four innings and gave up a couple of runs, so that won't look good ERA wise. But by and large, like who's the bad pitcher here? There like, is none. Like Matthews, maybe because he has a six eight six point eight one. Yeah, I mean, sure, but he's like you know a reliever. Exactly, <laughs> he's a reliever. Just, and... They could just not use him unless it's a blowout. Exactly, and he's he's pitched thirty five innings, so he was a mop up guy. So then we have like Bender, who had about an area of five and a half. Okay, fine. Outside of that, and then Ventura, who was hurt for a while, so he only pitched 33 innings as a starter. Outside of that, everyone's below five. Like, and they transitioned Ryan Kuzmal to a bullpen role. So that must be nice. That must be uh, must be nice luxury to have for a uh, for for an indie ball team to take a guy who's as good as Ryan Kuzmal and say, "Yeah, I'm sorry, Ryan, we don't really have room for you in the starting rotation. It's too stacked." with former MLB guys and guys who are just studs. So we're going to have to ask you to like uh, become like Andrew Miller out of the bullpen. Thanks. I think they're the only in- team in the history of indie ball that, that would have to do that to Ryan Kuzmall. They're certainly up there. It's limited. I mean, because you have David Holmberg, who I assume is a game one starter. Then you go to Henderson yeah. Alvarez in game two. Then you go to Dillard in game three. Then in game four, you could go, if you really wanted to, you could go with Kuzma in game four if you want. But if not, you got other options too. I think Hutchinson's probably the guy they go with. Uh, yeah, I forgot about Hutchinson too, even though I think he'll be my player of the week this week. But in any case, you have Drew Hutchinson too. Like, they're just so stacked as a rotation. You can go five and have Kuzma as your five and still be like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Like, there's no shortage here. You can. There's so much flexibility in that. Now, I will say, to compensate for the pitching here, they're, they're batting abysmal. I'm like, dear God, it's not good at all. Outside yeah. of Adam Brett Walker, it's, it really is a desert. But their pitching is just so elite that I overlook that entirely because it's just... I um, agree. I, it's just one of those times where it's like, good pitching is hard to beat. Good batting, you can get over. Uh, for me, my two players of the year from them, 
Pitching-wise, is Peyton Gray. In 32 innings, he struck out 56, only allowed 24 base runners on the whole year, had 14 saves, and he didn't allow a single run. Not a single earned run. He didn't allow a run. Period. No runs. Zero. Zilch. That's just... It's like, it's I, I can't fathom that. And then my, my player of the year is obviously Adam Brett Walker. He actually just got announced as the player of the year in the American Association. So, I mean, 22 home runs will do that. 0. 0.2, uh, 0. 0.929 uh, OPS. He batted just under 270 on the year. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go and fan out on Milwaukee once we once we get through the awards and stuff and we do the championship preview, but I'll uh, allow you to say your piece on the on the Milkman's regular season. Yeah, I mean, the, the pitching is, like, laughably good. It, 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 it's basically like they were playing, they, they, started, they started a franchise in MLB The Show and just, like, put on force trades so they can just get the most stacked, like, starting rotation in history and just, like, you know, just throw it out, throw them out there. And that's, again, like you mentioned, their offense has not been very good this year, like at all, uh, outside of Adam, Adam Brett Walker. I mean, th- their offense is basically, hopefully we can work a couple walks and Adam, Adam Brett Walker hits a ball like 450 and then, yay, we win three, we, yay, we win three to one. Like that, that's pretty much what, what the milkman, it, uh, their season's been. And so, you know what? It, it's really worked for them. Their their rotation is just so good, and the back end of the bullpen uh, with with AJ Shugel, Peyton Gray, Miles Smith. I mean, now Ryan Kusmal in the bullpen. It, it's just such such a good pitching staff that it, I think this team's hard to beat in a seven game series. I I just don't think I I just don't think I, I'll say actually I'll save it for the championship preview yeah. itself. But as far as obviously my player of the year is Adam Bright Walker. I don't think there's really an argument for anyone else. Pitching-wise, again, I said I don't really love going with relievers, but I don't think we'll ever see a season like Peyton Gray put together with the Milwaukee uh, with the Milwaukee Milkmen. I don't think we'll see a season like that ever again. How can you not go with him for a pitcher of the year for the Milkmen? I, I even made the case last week you could make the argument for him for American Association Pitcher of the Year, even though that's not he's not my pick. But for, for Milwaukee, David Holmberg had an awesome year. But and in any, on any other team, he would except St. Paul, I guess he would easily be the um, the pitcher of the year. Unfortunately, Peyton Gray was just ridiculous. And and if Peyton Gray d- is not an affiliated ball next year, like I I don't I don't know what else to do for the guy. Seriously, if Peyton Gray is not an affiliated ball next year, he'll be in the Atlantic League. That's what he'll be, and the system will clearly not be working if he's not if he doesn't at least get a contract somewhere. It, it's ridiculous. But, yeah. But, oh, God. The only thing I was thinking there was, just imagine if you were to take, like, one of the Sioux Falls bats and put them on Milwaukee. It's over. If you just took, like, let's say Ely, or if you took Landon, or if you took Tom Shea, and you just put them there. Even if you took one of their lesser bats, like, like say, Coulter, and you put them over there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a scary, scary team. The only way that, and then I was also thinking, imagine if Mike Devine was in Milwaukee, how it just lights out that rotation would be. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you might you might just go with a six or seven man rotation because you don't know who to put in the bullpen. It wouldn't be a bad idea to be honest. If you just were like, okay, we're just gonna have everybody pitch five innings and then we'll figure it out from there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Uh, all right, so with that, we'll move on to the awards. I know this is a longer episode, but at the same time, there's a lot to cover, and I we, it deserves to be covered. So uh, we'll kind of speed through the awards here a little bit. I'll go through the official awards as they are right now, and then we'll go to our awards. And then I did do a little bit of a fan poll, so I'll just kind of give the results of that too, and then we'll preview the championship, and then we'll be done. So uh, official awards, the postseason All-Stars, so the end-of-year All-Stars, for the American Association, as officially voted on by the media types, which doesn't include us. I'm not salty at all about it, but you know, <laughs> getting a vote would have been nice. But but I say nothing. At first base, nothing. Kyle Martin from Winnipeg, uh, 301, 16 home runs, 51 RBIs. He stole eight bases, which I thought was surprising, but he did. And he had an OPS of 936. Edwin Arroyo wound up being the second baseman of the year. Uh, We ran through his stats at third base. Damick Tomshay from Sioux Falls, 320, 10 home runs, 49 ribbies, one stolen base, 409 OPS. Andrew Ely wound up being the shortstop, again from Sioux Falls, 295, 9 home runs, 30 ribbies, 1 stolen base, 866. Uh, Adam Brett Walker wound up being one of the uh, one of the uh, outfielders of the year, along with Logan Landon and Mikey Reynolds. Walker was 268, 22 home runs, 50 RBIs, 3 stolen bases, 929. Landon was 333, 10 home runs, 43 ribbies, 3 stolen bases, 909 on the OPS, and then Mikey Reynolds was 332, 7 home runs, 28 ribbies, 8 stolen bases, and a 915 OPS. Catcher of the year was Chris Chinea from St. Paul, 293 batting average with 4 home runs, 37 ribbies, no stolen bases, and a 775 OPS. And your DH of the year was Drew Ward, 335, 17 home runs, 45 ribbies, a stolen base, and a 1,040 for your OPS. Start of the year wound up being Mike Devine. Relief of the year wound up being Peyton Gray. Player of the year was announced just before we went on, and that's Adam Brett Walker. Manager of the year will come out on Monday, September 14th. Defensive player of the year, as well as rookie of the year, will be Tuesday, September 15th. Executive of the year will be Wednesday, September 16th. Playing surface of the year will be September 17th, that's Thursday, and then organization of the year will be announced sometime in October. So that is how the official things wrap up. Uh, I will ask you how much of this do we agree with, how much do we disagree with, and then we will kind of go into the divergence from there. Yeah, so as far as the um, all-star team, I guess since we just talked about the all-star team, um, I mean... I'll be honest. I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, usually, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of awards, uh, like awards and award picks. Uh, usually, but going to be honest, I have one guy like in my All Star team. I guess I'll just go through it now. It's a nice transition, but I, I think they did a pretty good job uh, as far as the position players. I had the exact same, except for instead of Damic uh, 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 Tom Shea at uh, at third base, I went with Joey Tardosovich. Okay, uh, I made that change too, and that is the that is the only that is the only change I made. I mean, they I thought the rest of it was pretty good as far as the uh, um, the pitchers, I, the pitching side of it. Um, Nick and I deci- uh, decided to do three starters and two relievers. So my starters were Mike Devine, David Holmberg, and Matt Tomshaw, and relievers Peyton Gray, obviously, and Victor Capiond. Yep, I agree with uh, the pitching entirely. The only other guy that <laughs> 
really was pushing Capion for that last spot yeah. was Shugel. I mean, he pitched roughly yeah. the same innings. I think it was like a third difference, and he did allow fewer hits, fewer runs. Uh, he struck out about the same. So that works in his favor, but he wasn't a closer. I know it's a bit outdated, but I did chuck that against him. Plus, uh, Shugel had the benefit of being insulated by Peyton Gray and Miles Smith, too, which definitely helps your ca- helps your cause there a lot. Uh, Capiam is kind of uh, one of the lone men that pen, sure, Hasler for part of the year, and then uh, Jose Jose for another part of the year, too. But it was really Capiam as the sole guy in that pen, so I credit him there. Divine, Holmberg, Tom Shea, yeah, that's just how it works for the, uh, for the starters. For me, I made a couple changes. I agree with you going with Todoslovich over... Uh, Tom Shea, or Tom Shea, rather. Uh, two other changes I made. Ale Lago, I swapped in there for Kyle Martin. Just numbers-wise, I could be convinced to go back to Kyle Martin, but I just thought Lago was slightly better, plus I'm a bit biased because I picked him for player of the year to start the year, so I wanted him on the All-Star team. <laughs> so there's some bias there for me. Uh, then two other changes were Carell Prime, I slotted in over Mikey Reynolds in that outfield slot. Carell batted 335. Four home runs, 31 ribbies, seven stolen bases, and a 784 OPS. Yeah, the OPS is vastly different there. I will grant you that. The batting average is higher, however slightly, but I just thought, Carell, uh, when you're fighting for the batting title, you have to be on that list. And then as far as catcher goes, I switched up. Instead of going with Chris Chenea, I wound up going with Dylan Kelly. A 336 batting average for him. Uh, five home runs, 21 RBIs, a stolen base, which is surprising, and an OPS of 854. So uh, those were the only changes I made on my All-Star team. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see it. Uh, I, I could definitely um, see it. And there's a lot of guys you could consider for a lot of these spots. So I, I, don't, I don't think you could. Uh, the only reason I did not go with Dylan Kelly, although he had a real nice year, is just because he... Um, just because a, a little bit different, a little bit of a difference as far as games played, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a good choice as well. Yep. All right, so we'll go to the awards real quick here. I'll start with the ones where I think we both agree on. Uh, obviously, rookie of the year is going to be Peyton Gray. I mean, Troy yep. Alexander makes a case, but it, it's Peyton Gray. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Manager of the year, I think we both are going to agree with Anthony Barone from Milwaukee. He takes a team yep. that was atrocious last year in their first year and makes them what they are today. Uh, so that's very clear there. Pitcher of the year, I had Mike Devine. Not sure what year. Yeah, I, I did. I did as well. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So Mike Devine, we agree there. And here's where I think we're going to reach our uh, kind of points of convergence. I'll save the juicy one of player of the year for the very end. But organization of the year, I went with Fargo Moorhead. There's a case to be made for Winnipeg because they were on the road and, and all of that, but I put Fargo Moorhead because they were sharing a home for the whole year. So just to manage the ballpark, manage the facilities, to really have both organizations kind of work off of each other, uh, I give Fargo Moorhead that. It's an impressive thing to do, and uh, I, I put them there for that. Yeah, I, def- I, I definitely could. I, I definitely see your case. I went with Winnipeg just because uh, just the fact that they were able to um, to, to keep it together without a, uh, without a home field. It's, it's so, it's so hard to do. And so I, I, I went with Winnipeg just because that's, the, it's a really tough situation for an indie ball team to be in. And I think they managed it as well as they could have. 
I'd go. I like I said. I got it was between those two. Uh, yeah. Playing surface. Uh, really, it's going to be any of the three new ballparks. I went with Chicago just because I figured uh, Chicago's the newest of the three. But uh, it could very well be Milwaukee. It could be St. Paul. It could be really, like I said, any of the newer ballparks here. I don't think it, this one really doesn't matter that much, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went. I went with Milwaukee, and, and of course, it's really hard because obviously, I do not live in any. I've never been to a American Association game. It's hard for me to tell. I could just tell on the live streams. I went with Milwaukee. I think their field looks cool. That's probably a terrible reason, but eh, that's yeah. okay. Look, we don't have much to go off of here, so well, that's a good enough reason as any. Executive of the year, I went with Andrew Collier of. Uh, Winnipeg, their GM, again, to put together a team like that and have to adjust your team on the fly because of the border and really to manage, manage the whole team without the home base there uh, and to do it away from them because he was in Canada for, I believe, the whole season while his team was playing in the States. So I give him executive of the year for that. I, I, I definitely agree. Then for defensive player of the year, I went Brett Vertigan. Uh, he had no errors in 128 in the third innings in center field. Uh, there really isn't a great way of measuring defensive prowess in this league without, as far as metrics go. So he seemed like as good as any. So I went Brent Vertigan there. Yeah, it, it, for me, is it, it's tough because there's, um, the, like you mentioned, there's not really great metrics. I don't like fielding percentage at all. But when that's the only stat you have, I guess there's no other place to go so i also went with with brett vertigan uh he did have no errors in uh for the entire season and and when i did watch the the milwaukee milkman he did impress me in center field as well so definitely passes the eye test as well i wish we had better better metrics to go off of but uh unfortunately we do not so uh brett vertigan is also my defensive player of the year all right and then that just leaves player of the year who do you got for player of the year I have Drew Ward, so I, I understand. Oh. I I, un, I understand the uh, the arg- I know the I understand the argument against him. I know what you're going to say as far as the fact that he is essentially a designated hitter. However, I thought his uh, offensive numbers were were too were too awesome to ignore. Hitting 335, an OPS of, of, of 1040, 17 home runs in 58 games. I honestly, he he's probably a guy that should uh, that hits well enough to be an affiliated ball. I guess his defense does drag him down in that regard. However, um, I understand I understand the DH argument. I just think his offensive numbers were, were just too were just too great to ignore. See, just by being a DH alone, I have a hard time saying he's player of the oh, year. Oh, here we just go beca- again with this. I don't. Look, we know my personal feelings about the DH, but that aside, as a DH, you're not fielding a position, and that works against you. Okay, that's that's not arguable. Brett Walker at least fielded a position. He is my pick. 22 home runs. He's clearing away the runaway, runaway winner there. He had more home runs than he had last year. In a full season, he would have he was on pace to set the American Association record for home runs. Hell, it was technically even possible at the clip he was on, but he would have needed about another week or two to do that. So that alone gets him there. It's not like his numbers were bad. I mean, he had, what do you have? He had a 929 OPS, and he still batted about 270 on a team that he was the sole source of offense. And if we're using player of the year as kind of the substitute for most valuable, Brent Walker was clearly more valuable than... Than Drew Ward was to his team. I always hate the definitions of. Uh, my, this is just my personal opinion. I can't stand, but yeah, 
the MVP, yeah, but the MVP says most valuable and not best player. If it's on, I'm sorry, best player, whoever had the best season gets MVP, player of the year, whatever, whatever it's called. If and you I, had I just a think, good I, year, but your team didn't make the postseason, it was for oh, nothing. Why? It you was for nothing. You that. clearly didn't have much value to your team then. You were but would you have been valuable on well, a team that made the postseason. Can Drew Ward pit, is Drew Ward a reliever as well? He can't pitch out of the bullpen. I'm not saying it's all on him. I'm just saying that you're limited. Plus, again, he's a DH. That works against him. I, I mean, I love the DH, but, you know, well, the, we'll, we'll save the DH. You're allowed to be wrong Maybe, about some I, things. I, 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 I tell you, I'll tell you what, Nick. In, in the offseason, when we have, like, when there's not really much to talk about, we can have, like, an, a half-hour debate about the DH if you want to do that. Oh, there's going to there's gonna be one episode that we wind up doing that's just going to be a throwaway week. When there's like no news at all, and we get through it in 15 minutes, and I can't find an interview to do, and it's just going to be us arguing about like little things, like the DH being evil and wrong, which it is. Central <laughs> Central Jersey not existing, which it doesn't. Oh my god, we're we're doing that too. Yeah, we're gonna go around to that because it doesn't exist. Oh, we could do all north right. and south, east and west. That exists. Central sure. no, doesn't exist. But again, that's all. That's all things for another time. Regardless, there are. There's just a few other things to cover here before before this goes totally off the rails. But as far as the fan polling went, I had five votes for Adam Brett Walker for Player of the Year. One vote for Mason Davis, which really came out of left field. Um, <laughs> Drew Ward got a vote, and Edwin Arroyo put together two votes. Uh, some that were... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting those. Player of the Year was... Or Pitcher of the Year was close. Four for Mike Devine, three for David Holmberg. One for Defensive Player of the Year for Mikey Reynolds, one for John Nestor, one for Logan Landon, and one for Edwin Arroyo again. Uh, four votes for Anthony Barone for Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year. Troy Alexander got a vote. Peyton Gray got two votes. I believe Organization of the Year, I have in the notes here, at two for Winnipeg, five for Milwaukee, and one for Fargo-Moorhead. And five votes for uh, Reliever of the Year for Peyton Gray. So that's how the fans voted. I disagree heavily on some of those votes, but yeah, I agree. But you know, it's the fan vote. Exactly. So it is what it is. But again, if you put Mason Davis there, why he batted two forty? They're, they're probably they're probably friends with him or something. He's probably, I, I I bet Mason Davis is a nice guy. I'm sure he is, but I guarantee you, Mason Davis so he, would would say, "I'm probably not the best player on my team. I shouldn't be considered for this." Oh, okay, but I mean, you know, like if, if you did this, like let's say for the you did this for the Atlantic League, you know, Scott Kelly, someone would put Scott Kelly or something. Well, to be fair, Scott Kelly is he's a ball player, and he's, he he is a he is a baseball he is a very nice baseball player. Which, if Somerset goes to Philly, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but well, we'll see. Yeah, well, regardless, we do have a championship preview to get through real quickly here. Uh, we'll try and knock it out in like 10 minutes, but we'll see what we can do. So we have Sioux Falls and Milwaukee. And Sioux Falls is an extremely good batting team that can't pitch. And Milwaukee is an extremely good pitching team that can't bat. So we'll kind of break it down here. Uh, Sioux Falls is, I guess, where we'll start at. Uh, they have really six mean weapons on offense, as far as I can see. Logan Landon, Roy Morales, Ale Lago, Damick Tomshay, Andrew Ely, Clint Coulter. All those guys are batting 260 or better. All those guys have an OPS of 800 or better. And all of them, well, except for Morales and Lago, have nine plus home runs. 
And they all have some speed except for Coulter. Everyone else has at least one stolen base. Uh, they're they're very talented offensively, and that much is for, for certain. As far as pitching goes, I don't really see many threats here. Uh, Danish, again, 38 innings, 4-0, 9 earned runs, struck out 26 at ERA over 2. Uh, Jake Zokan, uh, 51 innings, 4-2 record, 17 earned runs, struck out 41. ERA of three even. Uh, I scrambled to find bullpen guys. Uh, Nico Blanc, he he's like the only guy I really see here that I trust. Him and Fritz. Uh, each of those guys have ERAs around three, 2.65 for Blank. Uh, Fritz has 3.14. Each of them allow, or Blank allowed six runs. Fritz allowed 10. Each struck out 24 and 32, respectively, each in about 20 innings or so. Uh, Keaton Steele's also there, but he has an ERA of about four and a half. He has, I think, like 16 saves, though. So there's that. Yeah, so I, I think we, we all, we've all we said it before. Sioux Falls is very uh, offensive-based. If they're going to win, they have to, they have to rely on Milwaukee's pitching staff to have couple off nights in a row and maybe maybe win some games like eight to seven uh seven to six nine to eight uh or excuse me well i mean it's not like milwaukee's gonna score that many runs but yeah the sioux falls pitching staff isn't great either so maybe that might help out milwaukee a little bit uh they're very they're very offensive heavy and um they're gonna have to score a lot of runs to put to get themselves a, a chance in, in this seven game series. That's really the, that's really the only way to put it. I think Tyler Danish is definitely their ace. I think he's their game one starter. Wouldn't be surprised if they went to him on three days rest, just because uh, they they need to get the more Tyler Danish uh, innings they can get out of him in the series, the better. And yeah, that, I think that's that's pretty much where I'm th- what I'm thinking as far as far as Sioux Falls. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I kind of put down like keys to the game and kind of finish the sentence. Sioux Falls will win if the pitching holes, there's no blow up innings, which they were prone to during the season. They'd have to have one or two innings where they just, there'd be six, seven runs against a team that'd be offensively strapped or in a rut, and eh, that would just be that. And the bats stay active. Uh, Sioux Falls will lose if they get poor starts. Obviously, Danish and Zokan you can trust, but after that, it really becomes a, a who's who there. The bats go cold. If their bats just don't keep up at the pace they're at, then well, they're they're kind of up the creek. And then if Keaton Steele blows saves, then they're done. Keaton Steele, like I said, he has 15 earned runs in about 30 innings as a closer. When every other appearance you are giving up a run, that's not good. Now, granted, against a team like Milwaukee, I don't see that happening, but it still presents itself as a clear and present danger. So, there's that. On the flip side to Milwaukee, uh, they can't hit f- for anything. They can pitch really well, though. Uh, Batting-wise, I see really two major threats here. Uh, Brett Vertigan, he batted about 293, a home run, 31 runs scored, 10 stolen bases, OPS of a 735. Walker, we've ran through his stats enough, so we don't need to do that again. I scrambled for David Washington, Dylan Tice, and Logan Trowbridge, but each of them are batting below 250. They don't really provide much power outside of Washington. He had eight home runs, and each of them have, has an OPS of under 750, actually under 740. So uh, there's not much batting to be had there. And pitching-wise, oh my God, are they stacked. Uh, Peyton Gray, A.J. Shugel, Miles Smith, all three of them ERAs below two, in some cases below zero. And... Uh, Combined between the three of them, they threw about 
82 and a third innings. They gave up a total of eight runs between the three of them. In fact, they gave up only about 32 hits between the three of them all season long. And uh, if you really want to combine as far as base runners go, it's under, I believe it's under 70 base runners. It's roughly around there. So that works heavily there. And then obviously they have a three-headed beast at the start of the rotation between Alvarez, Holmberg, and Dillard, each of them with ERAs below 3.2. And then obviously there's Drew Hutchinson as well that's there. There's Ventura, who looked pretty good to start the year. He's been so-so since coming off the IL. And also there's Zach Hartman, who's kind of a two-way pitcher. He appeared in about 35 games. He allowed about 45 hits, 15 earned runs, walked 13, struck out 25. ERA still below four, though. So as far as a long man in the pen goes, he's probably your guy. Yeah, I think, again, we've, we've, we've uh, said it over and over again. Milwaukee's pitching is ridiculously good, and I think that plays more to their favor uh, in, in a seven-game series specifically. So uh, there's not really much else to be said about Milwaukee. Obviously, they're going to need their offense to hit a little bit, uh, in or or this maybe this series goes to six or seven games. But if if Milwaukee can score like four runs a game, they're going to win this series pretty easily. They need definitely uh, could use David Washington uh, hitting some. He's had a uh, pretty rough year with Milwaukee uh, by his standards. Um, and yeah, I, I think the starting pitching is terrific. The bullpen's insane. Even if it's going to be interesting because the bullpen is so good as well. Uh, how, how much of a, uh, how, how, how much of a quick hook Anthony Barone has because he has so much confidence in that bullpen. So I, I think that, yeah, I think Milwaukee's, it, it's, it comes down to their pitching, and if they can score just enough runs to win, I think this series is over rather quickly. Yep. Uh, my keys here, uh, if Milwaukee will win if the pitching stays on an elite level. Even if it just stays at a passable level, they should be fine. The bad batting turns around. If they finally start getting some more offense from at least two guys, if Vertigan, Walker, and then let's say Washington Tice really pick it up, then there will be smooth sailing. And as long as they just play clean baseball, you know, just no errors, play smart, head up, you know, the standard shit. Uh, just good fundies, really. They'll be fine. Uh, Milwaukee will lose if the pitching fails. If they just hit a rut like Winnipeg did, then they're really in bad shape. And if the bats stay dead, they may have a problem if... Uh, if, again, the pitching doesn't do as well as it has been and the offense of Sioux Falls really comes alive, uh, I will say here, the fan vote here for who would win this series is 58-11 to 11, Milwaukee over Sioux Falls. So I will take that in five games for them. Uh, for the 11 fans that voted in favor of Sioux Falls, I guess uh, you're expecting to win one game. So uh, yeah. I will ask uh, for our predictions right now. Milwaukee and and how many is really the question here. I go Milwaukee in six. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go Milwaukee in five. Milwaukee in five. See, I feel like I feel like the they can claw at least two away at the birdcage. It's possible, yeah. I, but I, I I feel I feel pretty good about Milwaukee in five. Yeah, I I just kind of assume Danish and Zokan are each gonna win one game. Yeah. So, all right. So that's our predictions. That's how it all shakes out. When we're wrong, you can tell us about it. When we're right. We're going to tell you about it, and uh, we'll see what we have next week. I believe up on the dock is just kind of an indie ball recap from everywhere. Maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe we won't. Who knows? You'll know more next week. So we'll go to the plugs now because this is about a two-hour-long show, which, you know, 
and it's long and normally I would think about breaking it up, but I'm too lazy to break it up this week on a <laughs> computer that truth be told, the fact that this week and the last week were on computers that aren't my own makes me a lot less willing to break this up into two shows to release part-time. Plus, I'd have to release the back half of this first because of dates, and it'd be a pain in the ass. So it's going out as a two-hour show. Listen to it in two halves if you need to. Uh, that's just how it is. You can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news. And you can find all your independent league baseball news on those three uh, locations, particularly for the Atlantic League and other things pertaining there as well. All high-quality reporting, as you've come to expect. You can find everything and anything we do, podcasts, show notes, videos, articles, all of which we'll pick up once again. I fixed the computer that I have sitting next to me on IndieBallReport.com. You can also go to the YouTube channel to view the videos to IndieBallReport Podcast on YouTube. Uno, I don't think I got anything else to plug except for the fact you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, you know, the usual jazz. And that's about all I got to plug here. And now I will ask at the one hour, 55 minute and 40 second mark, do we have anything else left to add? Well, uh, the one thing I have to add is the Boston Celtics are playing a game seven tonight uh, as we're recording on a Friday. So by the time you listen to this, all I'm going to say is I hope the Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals when you're listening to when you're listening to this. And if they are not, I will be very sad. Well, how about that? I'm just going to add that to the fuel the fire of the uh, Jersey Divide here. That uh, it's Taylor Ham, not Pork Roll. We all know it. No one's a oh savage. God. Oh God! So, so we need to we need to end this now. Uh, we, we you're on end that end of it. Oh God! All right, all right. Well, like we end every show. Until next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs> <laughs>